0: Hey, welcome everyone. Episode number 42 of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast is here. We're moving towards the revolution. So if you're enjoying the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, one hundred three seventy Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, especially through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review. If you haven't already, just search one hundred three seventy Game. You'll get the Cajun Strong Style Podcast and so much more for free. 99 but without further ado let's get down to brass tacks and get into the three count and we start off with what's going on with the performance center because the latest class has been announced they the WWE last week announced what they're calling the largest recruiting class in the history of the performance Center. been almost a decade since the performance center debuted and it's not just the quality the the quantity excuse me the quality for this is extremely strong headlined by eli drake now l a knight over in NXT, and you also have former Impact Knockouts champion Taya Valkyrie and GCW star Blake Christian in the mix. Definitely three people you need to keep an eye on, but there's some others, including Rick Steiner's son, Bronson. Rick Steiner is the actual real name, and also UCF offensive lineman Parker Boudreaux. Some people have called him the next Brock Lesnar because of his look. These are two of the more blue chippers that we haven't necessarily heard a whole lot about or made waves in other promotions like Impact Wrestling, or notable indies like GCW. But I like how strong this class is, even with a lot of just names that, at least to me, won't have much of a future in terms of long-term staying power in the WB. I'd love to see some of these guys prove me wrong, but the names I saw when I was looking through the press release, it's not usually to see a bunch of unknowns alongside some of these bigger, independent names, but it felt like on paper, some of it Kind of left a little bit lacking just because a lot of these people I don't entirely know. I'm sure they'll find a role for them because you see a lot of these superstars that get an opportunity to be part of this performance center class. In the case of Aja, who refs for NXT, she's been used a lot more as a referee, but she definitely has a lot of experience as a professional wrestler. I saw her wrestle in the Indies a couple years ago here in the AKDNA area. But I can't wait to see how it's gonna turn out for people like a Blake Christian or even a Parker Boudreaux, who again has had a lot of hype around him. Like the last several months, it's been all been leading towards this exact moment. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with those guys. One of the other big stories over the course of the last week is AEW finally dropped their casino game over the weekend. It took a minute for a drop on Google Play. Apple had dropped right away for. And let me say, it's okay. So according to the release, this is made in partnership with social casino developer Kama Games. And it's the first of three gaming titles under the AEW Games brand. Obviously, the big console games to be the last one of those three. It gets dropped. Before that, we'll probably get the all-elite manager whenever the hell that decides to drop. But honestly, it's a casino app, very little AEW branding. They have some double or nothing on the table games, but that's about it. I would have liked to see maybe a little more AEW branding with the slot machines or video poker because you could have wound up changing a few things. They also have one, and it's called, I think I think it's called like Fight Night or something. Oh God, I'm going to pull it up because I actually had the screenshot. Wild Punches is what it's called. And it basically has a knockoff version of Dustin Poirier as one of its avatars and it makes me laugh every single time I see it because it's clearly supposed to be like a UFC slot machine but you don't have the rights to actually use any of the UFC branding. So you make it as like knockoffish as possible. I love every second of that. That's but it made me pop. But overall I've played a little bit of it. It's okay. If you're if you like casino game apps, this is the exact console or the exact game for you. Not necessarily my cup of tea, but maybe it's yours. Final bit of news involving pro wrestling that we're going to get to in the headlines. EC3 signs with Ring of Honor. That's right, the former Impact World Champion, also former WWE Superstar, is sticking around in Ring of Honor. Here's the full release. And by the way, Ring of Honor has a great way of writing up press releases. And it says, EC3, who had been pro wrestling's hottest free agent since he hit the open market last summer, made a few appearances with ROH in the fall. He made his unannounced return last weekend on last weekend's episode on Ring of Honor Wrestling to confront Jay Briscoe. EC3 and Briscoe had been scheduled to face each other at final battle in December, but the match was called off after EC3 tested positive for COVID-19. A darker, more intense, and more dangerous EC3 showed up in ROH declaring that he was on a quest to see if honor was real, and now that EC3 is making ROH his home, he'll have ample time to find out. I love the fact that they have a press release that feels like it's built inside of KFABE. Really cool stuff. But I can't wait to see what EC3 does because I like the path that his character has taken since his release from the WWE, being the essential character and stuff like that. Very much in favor of that kind of stuff continuing to kind of move forward. actually, well, so got to be thinking hard. the hardlock, the, lock. The hard that has cinched in. Center of the ring, nowhere to go. Amazing. The reign of the Almighty is upon us! Just like that! Here is your winner by submission and the new WWE Champion, Bobby Lashley! Dominance! Absolute dominance! This is a man who has preached week by week. There is not a superstar alive who can beat me. Well, it is now the era of the Almighty here on Monday Night Raw. But one of the other big stories over the last several days involves your new WWE champion. It finally happened. It took the entire show, but we got the blow-off to this two-week angle. And Bobby Lashley is the new WWE champion Without a doubt, the biggest headline of the week so far. And the angle actually started last week when the Miz had to, has to defend his title by the top of the hour. Last week it started because of the fact that the Miz enlisted the services of their business. And now Lashley was wanting to collect. And he said, you know, let's do it next week. Let's go ahead and book this to next week's show. And it was the top of the hour. you can have a title match. And this is going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Miz didn't show up because of a stomach ache. He, he faked a stomach ache. Whatever he could have just honestly said, "Hey, I, I feel like I'm coming down with with symptoms to the the disease, you know, COVID." Could have brought that up. I mean, would have been really bad. Probably would have been bad taste. But you know, and to be, he's not much of a fan of actually having good taste with a lot of their angles. So you know, kind of works. The match starts. then He's given another hour. It's the the ten o'clock Eastern Time hour. Match starts, but the second the bell rings, Miz immediately just grabs the belt that he has, his title belt, and flies to the back, Bridge just is hauling ass to get out of the ring and never come back. Loses by count out. And then he goes basically into hiding, and it was absolutely hysterical to me. So he had that happen. And now we got Aiden to do this again. It turns into another match. As the main event of the show, it was either Miz defends this title or he gets stripped of the title and Bobby Lashley becomes your new WWE champion. So we get this for the third time, and now we get a Lumberjack match to keep Miz from running away. Or they could have probably done a no-count-out, no-DQ match, maybe even Falls Count Anywhere stipulations, just to make sure that there must be a winner. Because it was not great. And it was really cool how it was like typical, you know, lumberjack, heels, faces surrounding the ring. Yeah, Retribution, you had Drew Gulak, you had Hurt Business, Matt Riddle. Pretty much all the Raw roster was there. And it was really well done, really well booked. And immediately, Miz is actually going for the DQ, getting trying to get DQ'd, immediately tries to hit Lashley with the belt. But he stops that dead in its tracks. Miz rolls out, but Drew Gulak throws him right back in. And Lashley pretty much manhandles him, throws him out of the ring again with the military press a little bit later. But I love how Retribution just basically stood there. He did nothing to help the Miz. And all of a sudden, her business comes up from behind, throws him back in. Lashley finishes things up after a really good spine buster with the Hurt Lock, and he is your new WWE champion the Lashley era begins or the reign of Lashley. It's going to be really cool. And I'm absolutely loving this. So I mentioned a couple months ago when we did our end of the review podcast. And I'll say it again. MVP is literally the MVP of the WWE right now. Within a year's time, he's turned three guys in Lashley, Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. They all went from being people who were very much in mid card hell, bizarre storylines, the case of Lashley and in the case of probably Shelton Benjamin, creative is nothing for you types. Like people who were just there almost taking up space and really kind of lowering their stock down significantly. MVP in one year, one year, pretty much, pretty much changed the whole game for all these guys. He's turned Bobby Lashley into the most like compelling star in the main roster outside of the Roman Reigns. He's a WWE champion. Such like Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, two great wrestlers. In fact, you got a tag team specialist in Benjamin. Now they're tag team champions on the red brand. That's amazing. And it's the fact you were able to turn these guys around from being jamokes and geeks to straight-up masters of their craft. Cannot wait to see what happens there. He's deserved to run with the belt. And while, yes, the circumstances aren't spectacular, it's a great moment. And the only downside is odds are he'll have to drop the belt to McIntyre at WrestleMania. I really hope that's not the case because he deserves to have a lengthy ring with the belt. At the end of the day, though, it feels inevitable. We'll be seeing Monday Night Raw's champion, B. Drew McIntyre, for the third time in a little bit of a transitional role. I think just Blasher deserves so much better if that's the case. I hope it's not. OBC lastly have at least a two- to three-month reign and really solid title defenses throughout because obviously he's going to have to deal with Drew, maybe even Sheamus, put that in a triple threat. I don't know who comes out on top, but that's where the intrigue really is for this team, for this company, I should say, to see what the future holds because these guys are probably the next five to six years worth of your company if you want them to. Then we get to the other angle that I want to talk about with the show, and i got to give credit to WWE, actually realizing, hey, let's go ahead and have an overarching storyline over the course of three hours. Don't do it every week, but when you do something like that, you actually create some more dimensions to the entire story that's being put out inside the squared circle. I would love to see more of this kind of stuff because it works on two different levels. Obviously, injury, but also... You never quite know... What's going to happen with WWE? And this is absolutely an angle that I was like, what the hell just happened? So we start off, and again, I was going back to ratings. That actually helped soften the blow in terms of the ratings not, like, being in the tank after three hours. It held a lot of people around to make sure they tuned in to see what would happen. Don't bang them over the head with it as much, but I think that would be a great thing to see WWE kind of, authorized, where you have all three people just have a universal type of system so they can promote it well enough on the Switch, the PS4, the PS5, the the Xbox X and the S and all that stuff. I think there's a way to do it. And I think this is the first step towards doing that, to be able to get like an actual video game back in our lives. I'm, I'm just looking forward to it in general. But going back to the outside angle that really made me kind of scratch my head a little bit. And more importantly, it's the entire Randy Orton, Alexa Plus angle. because it's getting into even more WTF territory. It is right there on the cusp of just going completely buck nutty. In this parish and, and the adjoining parishes, this is the most nuts one. So you have Charlotte Flair having a – excuse me, Alexa Bliss is – Backstage with a vignette as Orton's cut a promo and talking about how you know he thinks that the fiend, about the fiend and his injury after he got burned alive. So what we had was it was interviewed backstage about the bizarre events since TLC. Massive understatement. Blood shows up on a monitor as they recap the whole black goop segment from last week, which was really freaking weird. I'll never understand that. So then they show Alexa Bliss and she's sitting on what is basically a pentagram. It's like it's a star with a circle on it. It's essentially a pentagram without saying what it is. And she's playing with a jack in the box. Keeps saying, "You know, bring it back, bring it back." And the next thing you know, there's an Orton deep fake video. Yes, you heard me right. There is a video deep fake of Orton with audio pitched way down. To where he sounds like, you know, he's talking like this. (laughs) But mind you, I just did it with my actual voice. They pitched this thing down to the nth degree. And honestly, I love the entire thing about it. It ended with him saying, you know, this won't end on his terms. Orton will come to -to face-to-face with everything he's ever done. I know people love the realism of some wrestling stuff. Give me this crap more often than not. Give me this crap. Because it's so absurd, it just has to end with Orton being thrown into the Phantom Zone, right? Like, last year's WrestleMania when Cena just all of a sudden just disappeared, never to be seen again, at least in the WWE canon. This is how it should go. A Firefly Funhouse sequel should be done. I, I think that's the way it should be. I think Cena should be showing up in that sequel. If they do it. I don't know if they will, but it'd be pretty cool if they did. Especially WrestleMania season coming up. I think that's at least something that could be on the table even if like, a cinematic match may not work well with an actual like semi-live crowd at Tampa, but give me this. And also I just want to see how they're going to resurrect the Fiend because at the end of the day that's almost all I want now is to see, John, is see the Fiend come back and maybe even John Cena return as well in this angle because again Who's to say he's still not trapped inside of this funhouse realm? Who's to say? But love that. Now let's get to AEW Dynamite from Wednesday night, last Wednesday, because right now we're taping this while the current Dynamite's going on. We'll talk about that in next week's pod along with Revolution. But when I watch Dynamite, i was still dealing with some of the ill effects of the stomach bugs. So I'm not going to get into that. I was getting to stuff that I liked overall was able to see because this was a really solid show. The opening segment, John Moxley took care of Ryan Nemeth in like two minutes. Just about what do you expect. But it was all about the promo hyping of the main event at Revolution with Kenny Omega. Mox has been on fire with promo since being unshackled by the WWE style of promo. I've mentioned before how great he is in that aspect. He's probably one of the best on the mic today. Outside of, I'd say, maybe Eddie Kingston. He is at that upper echelon. You mentioned how he's an addict. And is addicted to being in the ring. It says an exploding barbed wire death match was too enticing for him to pass up. Someone like him to pass up this opportunity. And it's that final part of the promo that really hooks you into buying the pay-per-view. Just for this match alone. Saying that if it all ends the next Sunday, it's a hell of a way to go out. Mox just knows how to sell a feud. And AEW has booked this feud perfectly. Think about it. This has been going on since the end of their first Show, Double or Nothing 2019, That's was your closing image of John Moxley throwing Kenny Omega off the casino chips. That was your first image of AEW. Everybody remembers that. Two years in the making, and we get to have one of the most brutal matches ever be the payoff for this feud. I am all the way in. And then I got even more excited because one of my favorite moments of the night came as a Sting fan. I was a huge Sting mark back in the day. I used to have, like, I used to dress up as... Sting for Halloween. So you have Ricky Starks and Brian Cage. They have a really solid tag team match with Varsity Blondes, of course. Brian Cage gets the win after a really nasty-looking drill claw. Really well done. The lights go out, and they cut to a video package on the Tron where a car is driving around a body bag. It's dragging around that body bag, a lot like what we saw a couple weeks ago with Darby. So they cut inside the car, and Sting is... Behind the wheel, crowds popping for you see in the scorpion gloves, all that stuff, and they stop in the middle of a desert. And he opens up the body bag, and who's inside? Well, of course, it's Darby Allen, but with more of a Crow Sting style face paint. I'll explain why I pop for that so much in a second. And the next thing you know, Sting walks out dragging a body bag, but it doesn't have Darby. It's Hook inside the body bag, and Taz is on commentary, losing his absolute ever loving mind. Then Sting points to the rafters, and Darby flies in on a frickin' zipline. I'm marking out this stuff because they have actually turned him into Sting Jr., and I cannot complain about it because it felt like that's what he kind of was to a certain extent. He was Sting Jr., but now they're just going full into the gimmick, and I love the fact they're doing this Sting and Darby clean house, and Stinger hits the Scorpion death drop, and at one point, it sounds like Tony Schiavone is back in 1997 all over again. The excitement level he has for segments when Sting's involved is unlike any other. So damn cool. Segment absolutely ruled. And I think it was just because of the fact they embraced everybody's thoughts about how Darby felt like Sting to a certain extent. And it's worked really well. And again, this speaks to how AEW. This has been almost a year in the making, the whole Taz and Darby feud. This has been going on since before Double or Nothing when Taz wanted Darby to be part of his group. He was building a group. He wanted him to be a part of it, but never did. So we get to see a payoff at Revolution with this match. Again, it's the storytelling. It's long-term booking. It makes me- it makes these payoffs mean so much more, case in point. This, I'd say, even some of the other stuff they've done in the past, case in point, I mean, the tournaments, the el- the eliminated tournament, they had to determine the number one contender to Mox's title that Kenny wound up winning. There were storylines into it especially with Kenny. Kenny was changing his entire persona. So, yeah, I think this was a great way to further the angle and also get a little comeuppance after the powerbomb last week on Cage. Really good stuff. Then we get to a main event matchup, which was balls out fantastic. Absolutely amazing. Lance Archer, Ray, Phoenix. It was definitely the old school David versus Goliath story, but they were able to tell it with a little bit of a new twist. Phoenix looked really good throughout that matchup. Some cool rope walk spots. In fact, he had a Spanish fly off the top rope that looked great considering the height differential between these two. But Archer, again, proved himself to be just too much for his opponent. Choke, slam and had some real height to it. It's like he picked him up and almost threw him up an extra like foot in the air and then dropped him. Looked brutal as hell. That only got a two count. And then... He hit the blackout off the top rope for the three-count just to make sure he can get the win. And then they show some respect, fist bump as they go off the air. There's, It was all about respect between these two, and I loved every second of it. No real story t- to the main event besides fighting for a spot in the face of the Revolution ladder match, but it was the perfect way to end a really solid show leading into one of their big shows of the year and also the show that's going on right now. I can't wait to get home and watch Cody Rhodes and Red Velvet taking on Shaq and Jade Cargill—that's going to be a ton of fun. And I'll say this: I've been enjoying Dynamite for a good while. I don't normally—I'm not normally able to watch it live, but last week I was able to. And I say so much better watch it live versus delayed. That being said, so much other stuff to kind of get into in the world of sports entertainment. And let's get into what's going on across the land of the rising sun. And that is New Japan Pro Wrestling. And there's a lot of news that happened this week involving that. I'll start off with New Japan Strong, probably the one episode of New Japan Strong worth watching. I'd say I've checked it out. I've enjoyed some of the stuff on there. But honestly, it's hit or miss. Not necessarily my favorite thing in the world because it's very much only a couple matches. The matches are good, but there's no cohesive storyline between them. I can live without watching it every single week. This was the week where I had to watch it. Because it was John Moxley versus Kenta for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. Really good match before that with a tag team. With a really good tag team match before that. But it's all by the main event. Absolutely hard hitting match from start to finish. Kenta put those educated feet to good use throughout the match. Very much hard hitting all the way through. They had a really good false finish by the way. Kenta hit the double stop on Moxley through a table on the outside. Mox gets back in the ring at 19. And I realized something during that point in the match is something like I see it a lot more in Ring of Honor, and I love it. We need to use the twenty count a lot more than the ten count because I feel like the ten count goes by way too quick, and I feel like twenty it really helps sell the fact this dude's actually hurt. And once you get to nineteen, dude just slides in the ring. It, it feels so. It feels like it's so much more. Even with no crowd, it's really good. I, I love the twenty count versus. Just the old standard 10 count. That's just my personal preference, and I kind of came to that realization when I watched this match. Then we get to some really cool technical stuff. Smooth transition by Kenta from the bulldog choke into the game over. Mox is able to get to the ropes at the last second. In fact, he passes out, at least that's what it looks like, briefly, and they go at it again. Kenta flips off John Moxley. Drops a couple four letter bombs that I can't say on this podcast. I probably could, but I'm just not going to. Moxley finishes things off with a brutal looking Death Rider, which by the way, like I think the Death Rider is a way better name than Paradigm Shift. I get why they call it that in AEW, but God, I love the name Death Rider for this. It's perfect, and he retains the IWGP United States Championship. I love like we got to see this hump happen. It took the forbidden door finally being open, and we finally got to see what Mox does, what he do, what he does best, and it's put together some hard hitting, kick ass matchups. And this was a prime example of that hopefully we get to see more of this down the road on New Japan Strong because I feel like that's what this kind of like United States brand needs is more Moxley, and I'm always going to be in favor of that. Then we get to New Japan Pro Wrestling announcing their top titles have been unified. This happened after a really good match against Tetsuya Naito over at Castle Attack over the weekend, and the two titles will be officially unified this spring. They were held together since January 2020, and Ibushi defended solely the Intercontinental title against Naito in a really good match at Castle Attack. And according to New Japan Pro Wrestling Chairman, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but Naoki Sugabayashi saying that you know the because of this fight, he decided to uphold the request of the world of the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. He'll be recognized as the first champion, and it will take place on April 4th at Sakura Genesis at Ryogoku Sumo Hall against the winner of the New Japan Cup, which we'll get to the New Japan Cup in a minute. But I thought that was the idea the whole time, to be able to do this. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this whole angle is going to go how this whole thing is going to look and more importantly i want to see what the iwgp world heavyweight championship looks like because that title is really cool but again going back to naito he absolutely must be absolutely downtrodden to see that entire thing the fact that it went down the way that it did next up we get to the new japan cup bracket before we wrap up the show This was a really cool thing to see drop, and it's going to be starting on Thursday, starting tomorrow. And really good matchups top to bottom. You actually have two getting first-round buys. It's Hiroshi Tanahashi and Evil, the winner of last year's tournament. He is actually getting a first-round buy in the contest. Here's some of the matchups for night one for the first-round matchups. you got Satoshi Kojima taking on Jeff Cobb. And then Great Okan taking on Tetsuya Naito. Hell of a first night. I think Kojima Cobb has a chance to be one of the better matches. In night one, Great Okan really breaking on through everything going on with the state of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's become one of those guys I think he's going to be a bigger star in the next couple of years, so that'll be a lot of fun. Night two has Bad Luck Fale taking on the ace of pro wrestling, and I'm using that term sarcastically, Toru Yano. Definitely interesting there. Hiroki Goto versus Taichi is also another matchup in 92. I think, I think I'd think i say Goto is that match where I'm going to be more intrigued. I think Bad Luck Fale does advance in that first-round matchup on March the 5th. March 6th, Okada takes on Shingo Tagaki. And then he also Tomoaki Hanma and Minoru Suzuki. Then the final matchup, Juice Robinson versus Kenta. I think I'd go Okada, I'd go Suzuki, and I'd probably go Juice because I wanna see I want I think they're gonna put Kenta in a bit of a losing streak push right now, and then they can start building up as absolute killer down the road. I would love to see Kenta win, but I feel like Juice could very well get it because they wanna give him a little more of a rub, especially since he's involved with the Impact Wrestling Partnership, at least what I think. Night four on March seventh. Is going to be Hiroshi Tenzan taking on Will Ospreay and then Gabriel Kidd squaring off with Zach Sabre Jr. I think we see Gabriel Kidd and Will Ospreay advance out of that night's matchups. Night five is going to be on March the 9th. Take a day off on the 8th. You've got Yoda Suji taking on Yuji Nagata, old school Yuji Nagata in the tournament. Tomohiro Ishii taking on Sonata. I think it's going to be. I, I think. I'd give an upset to Yuji on this one, and then Tomohiro Ishii advancing against Sonata. The final night is David Finley, Chase Owens take, squaring off. Yoshihatsu and Yujiro Takahashi squaring off. And then the final matchup of round one, Toto Henare taking on Jay White. I think i got to go with Jay White, David Finley, and Yoshihashi. I think Yujiro isn't necessarily ready to be in the primetime spotlight, at least not yet, I think he's got time. I think like he just works better as a more of a tag team guy versus a singles competitor. And then with night one, I think Jeff Cobb advances and Great Okan because I feel I feel like Naito isn't going to be go making a big run in this tournament after losing a really hard fought matchup just last week to your boy Kota Ibushi really, again. Just looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with New Japan Pro Wrestling. The fact we get the New Japan Cup starting things up very soon, I know they're going to try and figure out their schedule with everything going on with the state of professional wrestling in Japan and also what's going on with the Olympics coming up this August. I know they're probably going to have to do G1 and the Best of Super Juniors, a lot like what they did this year, where they had to push this back into maybe September or October. To be able to fit all this in because, obviously, once you, the Olympics start, that is like two or three weeks worth of not being able to do shows because Budokan, Tokyo Dome, all that stuff, I mean, Kuruken Hall, all that stuff is going to be occupied. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it's all going to kind of pan out with the 2020 Olympics taking place in 2021. But that's about all we got for you on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate the hell out of you for listening in on this podcast. Wednesday night, AEW Dynamite. So hopefully you are happy about that. Make sure you leave a five-star review, a six-star. If you're up in that Tokyo Dome, Karuka Hall. Holly even, make sure you check us out on Twitter, at Cajun Strong Style. And more importantly, go check out us and search 103.7 The Game on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts.